The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
Good morning, church. First off, let me start by saying that it's an honor to stand before you this morning on the morning that we are honoring our graduates as they step out into the next adventure that God has for them. It's an honor to get to stand up here and hopefully challenge you and and give you some advice on where to go with the next stages of your life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, you know, that's for for the longest time, that's where I found my most favorite verse in the entire Bible. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their effort. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. 
I'm going to follow that up out of the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. And it says, again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. But this is the most important part. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. I want to tell you a story about a man named Harry. Harry was an older gentleman, and he had been in church his entire life. You know, every time the doors were open, he was there. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, he was there. One day, as Harry got older, he decided, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be there. He said, I know, I know God. God's my Savior. I don't need to go to church. And so two, three weeks turned into two or three months. And one day the pastor got to noticing that Harry wasn't out there. He wasn't at church. And so he got worried. And so one night, one cold night, the pastor decides, you know what? I'm going to go visit Harry. So he shows up. Knocks on the door. Harry opens the door. Says, hey, pastor. Welcome. Pastor walks in. Sits down in front of the fire. Harry's got going. Harry pours him a cup of coffee. And they sit there. And not one of them talks. And so, as the pastor is sitting there and he is, he is staring intently into that flame... He stands up, he walks over, he picks up the tongs, and he pulls an ember out of the fire, and he sets it on the hearth. He just leaves it there. He goes back and sets down. Again, not a word was spoken. They sat there, they enjoyed their coffee, enjoyed company, neither one of them talking. The pastor looked at his watch, and he... uh, could tell he, he knew it was getting late, and so he decided, it's time for me to leave. So he walks over. He reaches down with his hand, and he picks up that ember that had grown cold. And he picks it up. He looks at it. And he takes it, and he puts it back in the fire. And immediately starts glowing again. Flames kick up on it. And it starts back. The pastor says, Harry, I think it's time for me to go. Harry says, with a tear rolling down his cheek, he said, Pastor, thank you. I'll see you in church on Sunday. You know, I want to take a minute and I want to talk to the seniors real quick. You're fixing to embark on a journey that starts a new chapter in your life. And, you know, if you haven't noticed yet, I'm pretty sure you have. The world we live in today, sometimes it will say way too much. But here's the thing. You know... You guys are fixing to enter the real world, if you haven't already been there, with the last 
14, 15 months that we've lived through, you know, you've experienced a lot of things that kids your age normally don't experience. Okay? But I want to I want you to understand something. And now this doesn't just go for for our seniors, it goes for everybody. Just like that story of Harry, you know, Harry couldn't do it alone. Harry was was a great man, a great God-fearing man, but by himself his fire dwindled, his fire burned out. You know, just like those verses told us, we are stronger together than we are alone. We can stand the test of the fire. We can stand the test of the world when we are standing with like believers and like-minded Christians. Wherever the next adventure goes for you seniors, wherever it takes you, understand it's highly important that you find your circle of believers, that you find that group that will hold you in the fire, that will allow your flame to continue to burn. You know, we've stated this a lot at this church. We are central and we're in this together. Seniors, we're sending you out. We're sending you out wherever you may go on your next adventure, but we are sending you flame a flame to take to the other parts of of the earth, wherever you may go. But it's important that when you get there, you find those believers that will hold you in the fire. You know, our fires burn brighter when we are together. One ember alone can, can burn, but eventually it runs out. A whole log can burn forever and have much more of an impact. Don't forget where your where your fire stands. Don't forget who you draw your strength from. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come this morning, we come with a fire you know we are at different stages some of us have a fire that's running out some of us have a fire that's just blazing but where we're at Lord we come to you we take these these elements now and remember that you are where our fire comes from and the closer we are to you the brighter our fire will burn. Lord, keep us humble. Keep us holy. But let us not forget that you are the source of our fire. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
The Bible is an amazing read. It's got everything. It's got action. It's got romance. It's got drama. It's got humor. This meme that I found kind of encapsulates that. I wonder if the conversation went something like this. Peter, dude, I didn't even know it was a race. We were running together. John, that is literally the definition of a race. We were totally racing. Peter, it doesn't matter. Nobody's even going to know that you won. John, everyone will know. (laughs) If you're like me, there's some stories, right, that are just a little hard to understand. You don't quite get them. And I feel like the disciples sometimes scratching their heads, scratching my head and saying, what is he even talking about? And today we have to look at two stories in order to get the meaning of one. And it involves a fruit tree that was just minding its own business. So welcome online on the radio. We're in our Disciple Sermon Series. We are celebrating our graduates this morning, this weekend. So thankful for you. We're in the tail end of the series. Uh, In fact, Don's going to finish it up with a powerful sermon uh, next week. But for now, I want to look at this quote from last week. Don't get stuck thinking that you don't matter or that you're not important enough. This is a broken soundtrack that many of us have running in the back of our heads. And it's simply not true. We need to replace it with a better one, right? You do matter. You are important. You have value. God loves you. God sees you. That's what we think about, that's what sits deep in our hearts. And, and God wants us to produce fruit, to be a disciple and to make a disciple. So if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, we're going to jump a little bit around, but we're going to start there, okay? Mark 11, chapter 15 is where we are going to be, okay? So this is Jesus clearing the temple. On reaching Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. Now, there are two separate cleansings by Jesus in the Gospels. The first one is near the beginning of his ministry. The second one is at the end. After the triumphal entry, everybody, as he comes into the city, welcomes him with open arms, puts out palm branches. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus heads to the temple. He takes a look around, and and here he is driving out the buyers and the sellers. It's not just the buyers. It's not just the sellers. It's not just the people. 
people that are, that are peddling their wares. No, Jesus is driving them all out. He's overturning money tables and, and he's, he's speaking, right? Now, we know the side of Jesus extending his hand to the blind man. We know the side of Jesus uh, looking into the eyes of the woman and saying, neither do I condemn you. But this side of Jesus, the righteous indignation, the anger, we don't really see a whole lot of unless it's pointed at, unfortunately, the religious leaders and the Pharisees who just don't quite understand who this guy really is. Jesus speaks in both instances, but what he says is very important. In John chapter 2, verse 16, that's where we find the first instance. It says, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. He says, father's house. He's saying, you've turned this into something it's not. You've taken the focus off of me. I am God, and, and I'm a jealous God, and I want your focus to be there, and I don't want it to be on all this other stuff that you've added. But here, Jesus says something different near the end of his time here on earth. He says, my temple will be called a house of prayer. My temple, this is ownership, right? My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, Jew and Gentile alike. And Jesus is overturning the money table and setting up a different table for a different purpose. You see, this is all they've ever known, but Jesus in just a few short days is going to do something completely unexpected. You see, they were pretty sure this Jesus guy was going to overthrow the Roman government. Everybody was going to rule. In fact, the disciples are saying, hey, can I be on your right and left? Would that work out for us? You know, this is going to be easy street. This is what we've been waiting for. And instead, Jesus goes to the cross. He's bloodied and bruised for my sins and for yours. He hangs between two thieves. One proclaims who he is and the other one dares him to save them all. He's buried in a tomb. And the stone is rolled in front and nothing can get in or out. But there is nothing impossible with our God. And the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And the women find it first and then obviously John gets there before Peter, right? He appears to the disciples. And then he goes to heaven. He ascends. Jesus sets up a different table for a different purpose. It's his blood that will atone for our sins from this point forward. And the Jewish leaders are plotting to kill him. And the people are amazed, stupefied is another word, at the outburst. Just who does this guy think he is? And Mark is very purposeful in the way he tells this story. He puts the temple right in the middle of the fig tree. And we see 
that the temple has become a system that can't sustain. And Jesus has come to fulfill the promise made. But I'm giving ahead of myself. Let's go to Mark 11, chapter 12, or chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. And we're going to learn about this fig tree. Verse 12, here we go. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. That is a cliffhanger of an ending, right? It's like, that's where you stop. Like, I'm not really sure what's going on. So um, let me get this straight. So Jesus is the savior of the world and he's hangry. Is that what you're telling me? Right. Do you know this word hangry? It's a it's a, it's a combination of hungry and angry. Right. And if you're in anybody's immediate vicinity, when they go from hungry to angry, you better get food quick. Right. This is a small window of opportunity for you. Jesus is not hangry. He's not looking for a snack, but he is looking for an opportunity. He has something to teach the disciples. Now, I refer to the fig tree earlier as a fruit tree. It's actually an inflorescence. I looked that up. I don't know that off the top of my head. I wanted to sound smart. It's harder for me to say inflorescence a lot, so I'm going to continue to refer to it as a fruit tree. We good? Let's continue. Okay, so in the fig tree, Jesus sees it a long way off. And there are leaves all over this thing. I mean, there are leaves aplenty. And so there should be fruit, right? I mean, if there's leaves everywhere, there should be some sort of growth there as well. Now, he knows that they won't produce this in this season, but, I mean, it sure looks like it. And maybe you've experienced this phenomenon before, that perfect pick on Insta. You know the one that took 300 tries to get right? Or maybe you've had a couple of arguments in as many hours, and you head out the front door on your way to church, all smiles, because you're supposed to have it all together. How about this one? I've held on to this one for so long, it's not even funny. Fake it till you make it. Society tells us we have to have it all together. We have some semblance of growth, don't we? There's leaves all over our tree, for sure. We make sure that everybody knows it, but there's no fruit. There's no production. And we think we have to have it together 100% of the time. But Jesus doesn't call us to that. Jesus says progress, not perfection. Because when we come to Christ, a process called sanctification begins. And it's going to take the rest of our lives. And there are days when you are killing it, right? Super Christian sticker and a cookie to boot. And these are good days for you. But then there are other days that are not so good. In fact, they're pretty horrible. You feel like you took three steps forward, but they're ten steps back. I love this idea by Eugene Peterson. It's an obedient walk in the same direction. 
We are walking towards our Heavenly Father, towards Jesus Christ. And some days we get it right, and some days we get it wrong, but we're facing the same way. It's progress, and we are making it, putting one foot in front of the other. Graduates today, don't spend your life chasing perfection. Don't do it. You're not going to attain it. I'm telling you this right now. You think you're going to come close, but it's only going to make you want to chase it harder. Don't do that. Ask anybody that's been around the block a few times, and they're going to say they wish they had done more things that mattered. They're going to say they wish they had spent a little bit less time at the job and more time with the people that they loved. They'll say, I wish I put down my phone. Let God be glorified. In your life, He has a hope and a future for you. This idea of big hat, no cattle. I think Bryce would appreciate that joke. Big hat, no cattle, right? You got leaves, but there's no figs. Is that how it goes, Wayne? Yeah, I'm going to go with it. This is not what Jesus is after. This is essentially what this quote means, right? Jesus doesn't want a bunch of followers who marvel at his deeds. Hey, this looks amazing. Hey, look at me. Hey, Jesus, thank you for that solid. I'll go ahead and give you a call next time I need something big. For right now, I've got it on my own. But fail to follow his example. No, he calls us to be disciples. He calls us to make disciples. He calls us to be rooted in him. And that's how we produce. And the disciples heard him say it. The disciples hear their Messiah curse a fig tree, literally. And they probably wonder, what was that all about? But the story is far from over. And we're going to finish that story. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 20 is where we're going to begin. And this is the withered fig tree. So here we go, starting in verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So in Mark's account, this is the next day. The first day is the fig tree coming into the city and then the temple, right? And the fig tree has withered from the roots up, completely decimated. And this may be why Peter notices and says something. Look, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Now Jesus could have said, I know, right? Jesus could have said, thank you, Captain Obvious. It's, you know, fig tree is not there anymore. I get it. But instead, Jesus says, have faith in God. Huh? I mean, we should, right? We should have faith in God. This is something we should build our lives on. Have faith in God. But it doesn't really seem like he's answering the question with the right statement, does it? Have faith in God? Uh, It's peculiar. 
And here's where we tend to get a little tunnel vision because we start to uh, take his comments out of context. We say things like, you too, if you have enough faith, can curse a fig tree, right? Or if you want to move a mountain badly enough, you could do that for sure as well. All you have to do is just pray and have faith. Oh, wait, enough faith. Oh, wait, the right kind of faith. And we add things to Jesus' statement that simply aren't true. We say, well, if we had enough faith, things would have worked out differently. Well, maybe we're not believing the correct thing if they don't work out. God is saying something much deeper here. Jesus is saying, have faith in God. And maybe, just maybe, the disciples are looking at the Temple Mount. And Jesus' eyes go there as well. It's the only way to God they've ever known. Bring the sacrifices to the temple. Purchase the pigeons. Pay the tax. Give their sacrifice to the high priest, who is also a sinner. So he can go back into the Holy of Holies, where they're not allowed, to offer up sacrifice for the atonement of their sins. Just the ones they've done so far. And they walk out of the temple. And they sin again. And the process begins anew. But this is the way they've known. This is the only thing they've known. They, they want to be close to God. And this is the best thing they have. And Jesus is saying, if you have enough faith to trust me with your lives. You see, Jesus knows what's going to happen in just a few short days. He knows the crucifixion. He knows the pain and the torture. He knows that the disciples are going to be terrified. You're going to have to trust me, guys. You don't really know the whole picture. You can't really see all of it, but you're going to have to trust me. And if you have enough faith to trust me with your life, to give me your life, to surrender your life to me, you could throw this mountain into the sea. No more temple sacrifices. No more inner sanctuary where you're not allowed. The veil will be torn. And all will come to the Father through Jesus. Today, I want to ask a difficult question of myself and of you. Are you willing to throw your broken systems into the sea? think the government's going to save us. If we just had the right leader, maybe everything would work out, right? Turns out Jesus is the only one that's going to save us. Are you willing to throw your broken system into the sea? Maybe you've carried around shame and regret so long that it's become a pet. 
It's a part of your everyday soundtrack and story. You carry around this immense weight. And sometimes you drop it off at the cross, but you pick it right back up. You feel like nobody wants you. Nobody sees you. Nobody could possibly love you. Are you willing to throw your broken system into the sea? Maybe you've started a destructive cycle for yourself. Uh, You're going to church. You're kind of gathering some momentum. An event, a circumstance happens, completely knocks the air out of you. And instead of turning to God, you run back to whatever it was you thought would hold you fast, would fill you, fill this emptiness inside of you. Turns out it's still empty. Are you willing to throw your broken system into the sea. And the last one, I wish things would just get back to normal, right? Am I right? I mean, if they could just go back to the way that they were, everything would be great. Not like yesterday, but like maybe a year and a half ago, like get us a time, time machine. And, and, and let's just go back to normal. Let's just go back to the way it was. Or maybe Jesus is saying this is an opportunity for a reset. There's some things that you don't need to be doing. There's some things that need to slough off. There's some things that you need to set your hand to. Are you willing to throw your broken systems into the sea? Graduates, we're we're so proud of you. You've grown so much and, and accomplished so many things. And I'd like to say that it gets easier from here on out, but it does not. The world is a beautiful and a dangerous place, and you could get lost in it if you're not careful. And we talk about this buzzword uh, near graduation, near the end of the year, purpose, right? Purpose is an amazing word. Purpose has weight, and we love this word. And there, there are tons of things. You could fill an entire life with purpose, things important to the world, and still produce no fruit for the kingdom. Leaves everywhere, but someone is missing. As a nod to you, I'm preaching out of my Bible that I got from my church in high school. Don't stop reading this. Mark 11:25 is probably one of the hardest verses for me in the entire Bible. It says, "But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too." Has somebody completely decimated you? Knocked the air out of you? hurt you in the most horrible way, maybe hurt one of your loved ones, there is no other thing for me that is harder than this. You don't ask me to do anything else. I'll do it. I'll run a race. I'll go door to door. (laughs) Whatever. Jesus, don't ask me to forgive every single person that has wronged me. Because there are those who have done the unforgivable to me, to those that I love. 
And there are days when I just want them to pay. I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I, I, I can't forgive. Jesus, I don't have the strength to do it. Sounds like a mountain, doesn't it? And Jesus says, have faith in God. And you could throw it into the sea. You ever wonder why God forgets? It says in the Bible, He chooses to forget, and we don't. Some people say forgive and forget. That has never worked for me very well. I think that we're called to forgive and to continue to keep forgiving. Because when we forgive the unforgivable in someone else, we realize that Jesus has forgiven the unforgivable in us. Over and over and over again, we see this played out. Jesus' love, He comes through time and space. He, he reaches us in our, in our darkness. He gives us the strength to forgive. And when we do that, we have freedom. And when we have freedom, we realize that He loves us completely. He forgives us completely. We don't have to hold on to that negative self-talk, the, the stuff the world tries to tell us about our lives. We are different. We are made new. In Christ. So when I forgive, I'm reminded of God's forgiveness. When I pray, I'm reminded of God's goodness. And when I wake, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. What does your life look like? Are you producing fruit? What does your heart look like? What does your future look like? If you'd asked me that in college, I would have said, not much. Downward spiral, going nowhere, and quickly. I don't know if I would still be here with you, and I don't mean in this church, I mean in this earth. Unless I met my beautiful wife, who brought me back to Jesus. How in the world could Jesus use me, you, broken vessels aren't we supposed to have it all together one last story before we finish up Jamie uh, the founder of to write love on our arms says this he says we often ask God to show up we pray prayers of rescue perhaps God would ask us to be that rescue to be his body to move for things that matter And Jamie did not intend on creating a foundation or a movement. No, he was just trying to reach out to a young girl. You see, this young girl had entered rehab. And while she was in rehab, she cut herself with a razor blade. She wrote stuff on her arm that I can't repeat in church. So they let her go. They had to. You have to be in a place, you know, where you're ready for the help that you need. So they said, she's going to have to go somewhere for five days. And then she can come back. And so it was either go back to the streets and the drugs and all of that, or, or uh, Jamie took her in. 
Jamie and his friends. And so they treated this girl like a princess. She had never been shown love before at all. They took her, she was a big music person. They took her to the coolest concerts. They got her backstage for one of her favorite bands. They took her to a basketball game and you could just see her begin to lighten up her load, just kind of lifting. She began to talk a little bit more to them. And she would say things like, tell people to stop and look at the stars. Just tell people to breathe. At the end of the five days, the night before she was going to go to rehab, she told Jamie, I'd like to give you a gift. Jamie said, okay. She handed him a razor blade. She said, this is my last one. This is the one I used to cut myself before. But I don't need it anymore. Thank you. What has become a movement started out because one guy wanted to write love on her arms instead of, you're nothing, you're worthless. That is producing fruit. That is not just a bunch of leaves. That is saying, I don't have it all together, but guess what? I know that God is the one that gives me strength. He is the one that powers what I do, what I say, apart from Him. Seriously, I can do nothing. And we circle back. As we finish, as the team comes up, and Jesus sets up a different table for a different purpose. The Savior of the world wants a relationship with you. And He doesn't want to just stop at that relationship. He wants to be so rooted in your life that you produce fruit. That it is hanging off of that tree. There may be some leaves on there and that's all well and good. But the fruit from what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, whatever God calls you to, whether He calls you to the military, the police force, whether He calls you to college, whether He calls you to a new ministry, whether he calls you just to sit with somebody that needs you, that is at the end of their rope. It's not about the leaves. It's not about the perception of having it all together. We're done with that. It is all about Jesus working in a powerful way in each and every one of us. Graduates, we're so thankful for you. So proud of you. Let God be glorified in your life today. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.